four. If you were, I don't need that good sir, thank you, yep. If you were with us last service or last week in the first service, I talked about spiritual but not spooky or sinful, and I'm going to do a part two on that. Now, the good news is if you are not a part of the first service last week and you were only here in the second service, well, then guess what? You can go back and listen to it because they're all online at that app. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, somebody say I'm there if you're there. Okay, are y'all just counting on the karaoke screen? Come on, somebody needs to bring a Bible to church. If you got a phone, you got a Bible. And by the way, I want to give it up for Marco and Malia. They just got married yesterday. The new couple, congratulations. I'm so proud of you guys. Amazing, amazing couple right there. Good to have them with us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, spiritual. Somebody say spiritual, but not spooky. Or sinful. Thank you. Paul writing here, he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. In how many ways have they been enriched? Every way. Thank you. With all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. So as Paul and the apostles preached to them the testimony of Jesus, they received it and now they are enriched in their speech and their knowledge. Verse 7. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Some may say they're not lacking. Lacking, nor slacking, or macking, but attacking the devil. <laughs> All right, I'm just seeing if you would keep up with me. That was fun right there. I just kept going. But they're not lacking. That's what the Bible says. They're not lacking any spiritual gift. So we need to understand that Corinth and the people there serve as an example that we need to be spiritual and not spooky and not sinful. Now, last week I built this foundation up to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit is different than being born in the Spirit. We don't have to turn there, but let me just summarize. John 3.3, Jesus speaking, says, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And we understand that to be a spiritual rebirth, giving back to us what we lost in the Garden of Eden. Because when he said to Adam and Eve, when you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. When they ate of it, they didn't fall over dead and stop breathing. You all tracking with me? So what we believe died that day was their spiritual life. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see God prophesying and give an indication to what he would do. He would give them a new spirit, a new heart. He would rebirth in them a new nature. And that's what Jesus comes to do. And he's initiating it in the Gospel of John. He's there before the, you know, the death, burial, and resurrection. He's there initiating initiating this teaching. And then in John chapter 20, after the resurrection, what does he do with his disciples? He does what on them? He breathes. Somebody say breathes. What does he do on them? He breathes and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So we as Pentecostal Christians believe that the regeneration of the disciples happened after the resurrection before Pentecost. Therefore, when you go to the book of Acts and see the description of Pentecost, Acts chapter 1, Jesus speaking, 4, 5, 6, and 7, that summary there, he says, you saw John baptized in water, but I'm going to now baptize you in the Holy Spirit. If they were then at that moment to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, why didn't they pause Jesus and say, hey, but you've already given me the Spirit. It's, all, it's already been one and done. I don't need more. I'm good. And if it was just symbolic, why does it say in John when he breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't breathe on them and say, one day you will receive. So when we look to the book of Acts, we understand there's a birthing and then there is a baptizing. We understand now the difference because this communication to them then is you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Anywhere in Acts chapter 1 do we find talk of salvation when the Holy Spirit comes? When the Holy Spirit comes, does he say you'll be born again? Yes or no, saints? Come on, yes or no? No, he doesn't talk about that. He doesn't say when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be born again. He says you'll receive power. And when the Holy Spirit comes on them in Acts chapter 2, do they go, Woo, I feel saved. I just got saved, everybody. My heart's been changed. I'm a new creation. Is that what they do? Is it like a Billy Graham altar call? 
No, as, as amazing as being born of the Spirit is, is that what Acts chapter 2, 1 and onward looks like? Not at all. It looks like boom, shakalaka, power of God falling on folks. It looks like a Pentecostal service, right? That's where we get our name, Pentecostal, coming from the Pente, the Pentecost festival after Passover. And so I talked about that last week, and I didn't get into the depth of, a, of where I wanted to go. That was really all just the introduction, because we had some Holy Ghost moments in the worship time. And now I want to show you what I believe is the conclusion of this message, where we need to be, because there's a lot of spooky people in the church. There's a lot of weirdos. There's a lot of granola Christians, fruit, nuts, and what? Flakes. There you go. Now you can use that one. And there's also sinful people in the church, and and what's weird about this and even more harmful than spooky people is that sinful people will be in sin using their spiritual gifts. Uh, the Bible college that I went to in Louisiana was started as a result of the fall of Jimmy Swaggart and the demise of that ministry that had happened in Baton Rouge. And many of those leaders, instead of being disenfranchised and quitting on Christianity, regrouped together and started a school in New Orleans. And so by God's grace, I went there. But one of the most fearful things that they would tell us, you know, as young students, is they would say, I remember Jimmy the week before he got exposed for prostitution, prophesying. I remember Jimmy Swaggart filling the altars when he was going down airline highway picking up prostitutes. And that used to stick with me as they embedded it into us as young preachers, is that you may have charisma but no character. And charisma in the Greek means gifts. You may have uh, gifts and opportunities where God brings you, but if your character is not right, you won't stay there. Because the gifts and callings, the Scripture says, are without reproach. That's why we stand with Israel. Not that they're doing the right thing in, in all the ways of their government. We stand with them because we believe the gift of being God's chosen people has been given to them and it won't be removed. That's actually the context of that quote, that the gifts and callings are without reproach. And how... More so do we see it in the local church that people here may be dealing with sin and yet they'll pray during our public time of prayer or giving a prophetic word. Or oftentimes you can't find out about the pastor's sin until it's too late. And there was a pastor maybe, maybe that was prophesying or praying for healing and these kinds of things. And if you look to the Corinthian church, that's exactly the way it was with them. You see, they, look at verse 6 please, in, uh, chap, uh, chapter 1 verse 7. They do not lack in any spiritual gift. But is this a good church? Are they living right? No, they're not. How many have ever read the book of 1 Corinthians? How many know they're a troubled church? I have the list here of all of their troubles, all the ways that they were spooky, and all the ways that they were sinful, and we need to learn from them on what not to do so we can do the opposite and do what we're supposed to do. Can I hear an amen? The first thing that they had was division. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As they were fighting over who was more anointed, whose book was the best, what was the best preacher that they knew. And isn't that what we see in our churches today oftentimes is that when the spiritual gifts are coming forth and Pentecostals are beginning to, you know, spread the message, we instantly, as creatures of jealousy, creatures of envy without the Holy Ghost, begin to act carnal and start pitting them one against another. I remember even doing this one time when I was uh, young in ministry speaking with a man who had all of the who's who in the charismatic zoo come to his church. He was the mega pastor of our area. He was a nice man. I would go bike riding with him. We would, we would bike ride. I only had a mountain bike and he had a road bike and that did not make him feel sorry for me in the least. He would ride about 20 miles an hour and make me try to keep up on a mountain bike. And so if anybody understands the difference, that's, that's a big difference when you're on a mountain bike trying to ride 20 miles an hour. But that's what it took for me to hang out with this pastor. And so one time when, we, when he stopped to, you know, chill and I'm there catching my breath, I asked him this question. I said, what do you think is more closer to the Bible in revival? Brownsville, because that was a big thing going on then in Pensacola. The Brownsville Assembly of God Church was on fire with Steve Hill and them. Or I said, the Toronto outpouring, which was going on over there at the airport vineyard. I said, which one is closer to God? Which one is closer to the scriptures? And guess what he said? 
both. He said, why are you doing that? Why are you looking at it like that? And then the Mississippi was right there. We rode along the Mississippi River, and he pointed to the Mississippi, and he said, do you know how many little rivers pour into this river? Many, many little rivers pour into this river. And so I began to understand as a young man that divisions are not of the body of Christ. He may be doing different things. We may be at a time separate in the physical. We may have separate oversight over, you know, overseeing elders and deacons and structures as the churches we see in the Bible had. Some were overseen by Peter, others by Paul, Apollos, etc. But we're not separated in the spirit. We are one flowing river. We are all in the river of the Holy Ghost. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Where they were divided, we should be unified. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. So he's rebuking them, and he says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Why were they not ready for the solid food? Indeed, you are still not ready. You are worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one says, I follow Paul, and another one, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? Isn't that a powerful rebuke that even applies to us today? Will I follow this person? Will I follow this person? Will I follow that person? We're spooky. We're weird. Why are we doing that? He begins to go on. He says, who are these people? They're nothing but flesh and blood. It's the spirit that's using them. They're only servants in verse 5. What do they have that they were not given by the Holy Spirit? Do you know what I love to do to deflate this kind of spooky, sinful way of looking at things? Is when someone comes to me and they begin to tell me this person that they just admire so much. And, and I love to hear good stories. Don't get me wrong. I'm Pentecostal. I love Pentecostal stories. I love hearing the stories of the evangelist, the prophet, etc. But when someone comes to me and they just go over the top, oh, have you read so-and-so's book? Have you been to so-and-so's conference? Oh, I, my friend went there. I went there. It was so amazing. You know what I love to say back to them? My God has certainly blessed that person, haven't they? Hasn't, hasn't my God? I go, my God really blessed them, didn't he? You see, what I do is I put it back in the context of, that's my God. That's my God doing that. Somebody say, my God. I'm sorry if my English messed it up a little bit, but I'll, I'll get there. Be patient with me. I tell them, I say, man, my God really must have blessed that servant. My God really is doing great things over there. Man, my God is good. And you see, what it does, because if they're speaking out of jealousy, if they're speaking out of envy, it throws them off for a minute. Because when they were telling that, if it was from wrong motives, it was to make them look good. It was to puff them up. And now that I put my God on it, it makes them back to equal. Put some on common ground because that's not that person. And it's certainly not you. You're just a fanboy or girl. It's my God that's doing that. Now, are you going to come back to me and say that's not my God? Are you going to say that's not my father that's doing that? What are you going to say about that? Now, you know, that, that it has to really come up, but I've never seen anybody go that weird and spooky. Well, it's not technically your God because your God doesn't do what such and such does. No, no, they, they, they understand it's all our God. We serve one God, the Father, through, through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when you were in the early church and you saw Paul doing great things, that was our God. If you were around Apollos and you saw Apollos doing great things, that was our God. And now if you're around today and you see this great evangelist or you see this mighty prophet, that's our God. That's my God. That's your God. There shouldn't be any division over what our God or my God or your God is doing because it's all the same God. So should we be divided? No, we should be unified. We should say right back to him, my God did it again, didn't he? Boy, isn't my God good. My God loves the, the evangelist over there. My God loves those meetings, doesn't he? My God's doing so many good things over there. And my God's doing great things over here. 
And my God's doing great things through you. And God's doing great things through me. You see, when we begin to just humble ourselves, just with that little, you know, just that little flipping of the script, we remind people what Paul was saying here. Everybody here is just a servant of the one true God fulfilling the task. Look at verse 8. The one plants, the other one waters, and they have one purpose, another one has another. But we're each going to get rewarded to what we've done, verse 9, for we are co-workers and God's servants. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. That's why, once again, when I talk to my friends, you know, because we all write books, we all pastor churches, we all have amazing stories, and, and sometimes, you know, uh, they'll call you up like these, you know, because I know many of you, you may not have many pastor friends. I may be one of your only pastor friends and some people here, but I just want to tell you the world of being a pastor is not all that it, it's cracked up to be. It, it's sometimes a lonely world because <laughs> I'll call up a pastor friend needing to talk about something, and I'll just do the, you know, the traditional man how you doing? And I have to endure about 45 minutes of every story they got to tell me. And I'm like, man, listen to me. I just need you to hear me right now. He's like, oh, bless God. Last night we saw this, this, and that. Last week we saw, man, let me just tell you about this. And, I, and, then, and then he has to go, oh, yeah, and anything else? I go, yeah, there's something else. I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me right now. I need you to help me figure this mess out that I'm in, you know, but we're all that same way. I'm a pastor. I, I'm telling on myself here. But, I, I, but when I talk to my friends and they say, oh, we've done this and we've done that, I love to remind them and I say, isn't it good that God is using us? Isn't it good to be a servant of God? Isn't it fun to see God use us? Because we're just his co-workers. He could have done it all by himself. He could have said, you just stay over there. I'll take care of this. But he said, no, come along with me. And so I want to say that the church needs to change, starting with us as pastors, coming on down to life group leaders, elders, and deacons. We need to all embrace each other. We need to be more quick to listen than we are to speak. We need to be more about the body of Christ than we are just about the thing that God is doing in our lives. So you know what I've done as a pastor, and I challenge you to do this? I challenge you not to be the first one to speak. If God's doing amazing things, souls are being saved, you've got testimony after testimony, whenever somebody calls you or you call them, always ask them what God is doing in their life. Because remember this, you already know what God's doing in your life. You don't know what God's doing in their life. And I remember one time I was sitting at a pastor, and he caught on to this. He had been a guest speaker of ours. He had been with us for a few nights. And he said around the last night, he said, you haven't talked very much, have you? And that's, ra that's rare for me, trust me. This is the lesson that God taught me. But he caught it. He said, you haven't talked very much. He said, you know almost everything about me because I think I'd wore him out. Every story he had, he was telling me, right? He said, but I haven't asked you too many questions. And what was good about him is he had a, a, a sense of self-awareness. He said, forgive me, my brother. Let me ask you some questions. How did you come into the ministry? What things have you seen God do? And that's the way we need to be in the church, not rushing to the life group to boast of what we know and what we did and always telling the stories that we have. We need to be able to listen to others and say, hey, what, God, what is God doing in your life group over there? Or what happened on that day of evangelism? Or what did you all do when you went over here? I want to hear about it because I care about it. I already know what I know. I don't know what you know. Pour into me as I pour into you. Somebody say unified, not divided. Amen. Go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. They also had pride. They dealt with pride and arrogance to the point where they actually thought that they were greater than the apostle Paul. Somebody say, look out. Look at verse, uh, say, 13. It says, Paul is speaking here, and he says, when we are slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. Now, all my faith people in here, don't be discouraged by this. This is not supposed to be our confession. This is Paul being sassy with them. This is Paul basically saying back to them, I know how you think about me. You look so amazing. You look like you've become rich. You look like you've already started the kingdom rule and reign, and I'm the one getting treated like a buffoon over here. I'm getting treated like the scum of the earth. And how many, let's just be honest, during this past season of COVID really felt that we got to see who, who in the church cared about their reputation? Because while we were being called bat nutty and crazy and weird, they were out there handing out vaccines, you know, giving out the mask and all of that. 
And I'm like, you wise thing, you. You're friends with the mayor. The mayor just handed me a cease and desist. I'm the scum of the earth, but you're the mayor's best friend. Come on, somebody. Say, God, help us. We need to be helped in the body of Christ. We found out a lot of that. I was ashamed. Can I get some water, please? I was ashamed of some of my pastor friends in this city. I understand that they wanted to win friends and influence people. I'm going to try to get through this piece of dust. Lord, help me. I, I was ashamed of them because you know what? They wanted the approval of men more than the approval of God. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That's what they wanted. And I looked at them and I said, you know what? All that you have is not what it's cracked up to be. You're paying a price for that. I would rather be considered the scum of this world than to be praised by wicked leaders. Are you listening? And we need more leaders like that, praise God. More people that say, you know what, call me what you want. Call me the garbage of the earth if you want. But I would rather be considered the garbage of earth and the prize of heaven than to be considered the trash of heaven and the prize of earth, right? So Paul is using this to mock them in a sense. He's ridiculing what he knows they're saying about them. Now go to verse 14. He says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. And by God's grace, I may preach that uh, in second service. Is the difference between teachers and fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have become your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, who reminds you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. Now look at verse 18. Yet some of you have become arrogant as if I am not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power do they have. Come on, somebody. It's not just about your talk. It's about your walk and the power you have for the kingdom of God. It's not a matter of talk, but of power. Verse 21, I know some people wish it wasn't in the church, but it's here uh, in the scriptures. But this is what it says. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? And we know what he prefers. He prefers love and a gentle spirit. But he speaks as a good parent there to his congregation. Do you all want to get whooped? Do you want me to pull out the rod? You better stop acting arrogant over there because all I hear is talk. All I hear from you is talk. And so often, I just got to tell on myself and other pastors, you can, man, you can talk yourself to death at these conferences and at these training meetings and in these Bible colleges and at these prayer meetings. At, at some point, I'll just be honest, God told me, Joe, you don't have to go to it anymore. Just tell them to meet you on the streets and show it in power. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but just for me personally. If we're not going to the streets, if we're not taking what we're doing here off to the streets, then why do we have the meetings? Why do we have the anniversaries? Why are we doing the conferences? If we're not taking it to where the people are, to what they, where they're at in their time of need, then is this not just about talk? Sometimes I've seen these people have these prayer meetings and they wax so eloquent in their words and yet they won't share that same eloquence, that same prayer with the homeless man on the street. Man, what are you doing? Jesus didn't say just pray so others can hear you and how awesome you are at praying. Get out there and demonstrate it. Show how awesome God is through you out there in the real world. That's what I love about this. Paul's like, man, you act like you're so sophisticated. You act like you don't have any bumps and bruises and everybody loves you. That's because you're playing make-believe church in your backyard. I'm out here in the real world. I'm wrestling demons. I'm getting put before governors and leaders. I'm getting beat up for this thing. I mean, just imagine if, if one of the men here had some time to talk with another man and it just came up that, you know, one of these men was a professional, uh, you know, basketball player. And it came up in that conversation and the one guy goes, oh, wow, really? I, I never, never knew that about you. Oh, yeah, I'm a professional. I'm the best. You know, I'm one of the best. I, I play on this team and so forth and so on. And let's imagine that, you know, the guy goes, you know, to his friend, he goes, well, can I watch you play? And he goes, you know, the, the professional guy goes, yeah 
you can watch me play. Come on over to this address. And when they show up there, it's in somebody's backyard with Nerf goals set up this high. How many know that would just be a goofy thing to see? Grown men with, you know what I'm saying, the headbands on, the wristbands, and man, they're like pumping up. They're like getting ready, you know, exercising, getting ready. And then boop, the whistle blows, and the court's the size of this stage. The Nerf ball goal is this high, and yet some guy just runs 360s, and boom, he's like, yeah, take that, take that. I'm in the house, you know? And then and then he clarifies, because then maybe you see a banner up somewhere in the backyard, or something, and it says, Professional Nerf uh, Basketball League. How many think that makes a difference now? You're, you're not playing real basketball, Jack. You're playing Nerf basketball. And that's how I see about most pastors. You know, like, I'm a pastor. I'm preaching. I'm teaching. Yeah, but you're playing on the Nerf court. Take that out to the west side. Let's see how it really works. Let's take it out to the south side. Let's take it downtown. Let's take it out to the suburbs in the park. Let's see what you really got out here. You know, everybody's, you know, trying to look good here. This is easy. This is Nerf here. Let's see your prayer for the demonized with one-eyed Willie there right on the corner. Go see if you got the, the gift of deliverance. Go deliver one-eyed Willie. Come on, because you know that, that takes some real spiritual gifts. I can't tell you how many times I've been out with people that talk the talk, but when we go out and do street ministry, they can't walk the walk to go out where Jesus was, to do what Jesus did. I remember one time uh, in our service, the evangelist got the people so excited for Jesus, they came up to the altar, and one woman was demon-possessed, man. She, got, she, she just started screaming. She, she got honest with us about what was going on in her life. And I remember, I remember the, the evangelist looking at me, and he said, I'm going to call up the pastor now. <laughs> I'm going to call up the pastor now, and he's going to help, help you out, sister. So I had to come and do deliverance over this sister. And then at the end, I asked the brother, I said, what was up with that, man? I said, I thought you were going to take care of that. He's like, brother, I ain't never seen that before. I wasn't ready for that. You see what I'm saying? I mean, this is the real deal. It, it, it comes out of the mind of, uh, you know, the theoretical into the practical. When I was in seminary, I mean seminary, one of my professors, he talked about this. He said, oh, when I was in Brazil, they started doing deliverance after one of the meetings I spoke at. They said, Professor, do you want to help? He said, no, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, don't you think if you're going to teach about the Bible or be an evangelist, don't you think you should know something about deliverance? I mean, isn't that one of the prerequisites of what we're supposed to do when we go out into the world is deal with evil spirits? And yet people don't have any power to deal with evil spirits. And yet they just want to talk and talk and talk and talk. And Paul said, get over yourselves. You're not as bad as you think you are. You're not, you're, you're not as good as you think you are at this. In the Holy Spirit, you're unstoppable. But in the flesh, you're just like the sons of Sceva. You're going to get beat up and cast out naked. And so we need to stop being arrogant and in pride and start being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. It's time to stop being spooky and sinful. Let's be spiritual. Let's have the real power of the Holy Spirit, real demonstration. We're ready here, if you're dealing with demonic oppression, by the way, to pray for you kindly and gently with the authority of Jesus. You'll get delivered here. You'll get set free here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 said that they had problems with sexual immorality. They were actually supportive of those who were in it because they thought it gave God a good chance to show how gracious he was. And you can read about that in 1 Corinthians 5, that they were saying, man, we allow the sexually perverse here because it shows that we're very gracious. And Paul was saying, no, that's not how you display grace. You display grace by living holy. And if people are not receiving the grace of God, desiring to live holy, and they're still claiming Christ, you got to kick them out. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now look at verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
So often in the spirit-filled church, because of the giftings that are happening upon people's lives, there is an epidemic of sexual immorality where people start to have sex outside of marriage to keep that, that passion, that adrenaline that they're feeling from the speaker or the group that they're in when they're in the Holy Spirit. In other words, they're feeling intimacy of the Holy Spirit. They're sensing love from the speaker or the leader in their life, and they begin to move in that, uh, move from that spiritual belonging and spiritual love into a place of perversion. How many have heard about that in the Pentecostal church before? I'm not talking about the Presbyterian. I'm talking about the Pentecostal. I mean, I just mentioned Jimmy Swaggart, and I can mention all the others from the different generations. Why is this an epidemic? Now, I know it's common among all men to have this as a temptation. We're talking specifically here about the men. I know it's common to all and for sexual morality to be a part of, you know, people's lives, and it's only by the grace of God we're separated from it. But in the Pentecostal church, why is this now our reputation that the pimp is in the pulpit? That the pimp is in the pulpit. Why? Because we have forgotten that our bodies are the temples of God. We have forgotten that what we're feeling here as in love, as in intimacy, is not supposed to go now into the realm of the flesh and us starting trying to satisfy the flesh with carnal desires. And I know every person listening to me is going to say, I would never do that. But it happens every year. I'm telling you, it happens every year. Because the worship leader was up here singing. I'm just going to put it in a different perspective. Like let's say we had a dude worship leader. And he's always singing, Jesus, you're the lover of my soul. Jesus, I will never let you go. There's some woman, come on, let's keep it real. There is some woman here going, oh, I receive. Oh, I receive from you. You, you, I receive it from you. And they start pointing to the you of the worship leader and to the you of the Holy Spirit. And so, I mean, I can name their names from Israel, Hoan, to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. The worship leaders, the Pentecostal pastors, the ones up here supposed to be bringing people to Jesus, showing people that their bodies belong to Jesus, are saying, can I have a piece of that body? Can I take some of that body? And it's a disgrace to the Spirit. It's a disgrace to what God has called us to do. Because our bodies belong to God. We're not supposed to take the things that God is doing in the spirit and turn it towards sensuality. You're not supposed to, young people, begin to fantasize about your life group leader or about the pastor and all of these different things. What you're supposed to do, young people, is say, I want who God has for me that's in the image of God for me. Don't have crushes on your leaders. Don't have crushes. This is not the junior high uh, elementary school thing. This is not whatever one of those shows are I'm trying to think of, that they have crushes and they have crushes on their teacher and all of these things or on the worship leader. You're not here to be Bieberites or whatever they call the fans of Bieber. I'm telling you. And I listen, I listen to these young adults. I love young adults, but listen to me, you, you, you teenager or you 20-something here today. Stop idolizing these people. There was pictures of Carl Lentz, and there's nothing wrong with a guy with his shirt off, but he had his shirt off. He had his, uh, his, his bathing suit like midway down, you know. And this is the kind of thing like people wanted as their pastor, you know, like, Pastor, show off your chest. Show me your tattoos, Pastor. You're so awesome. You know, bless me again, Pastor. Listen, we're not here to idolize these people. And I look at, I look, and I know it can happen to older adults too, but I just want to talk about this thing in the younger adult time, uh, the generation that we're in, because I grew up as a young adult where we were wearing suits while we preached, okay? I grew up in a time that if you weren't using the King James, you weren't sanctified, Okay? 
And, and, and I'll just be honest with you, I was one of the first, I'm not trying to say I'm a trendsetter, but by God's grace, I was one of the first in the early 2000s to say, I think I can still do this being comfortable on a Sunday. By God's grace, I'm like, Lord, can I do this wearing shorts? Because the suit is getting old and it is hot, okay? And, and I just, you know, I began to do that. And that was before some of this, you know, popped off, as we would now say, like Carl Lentz and others. And what I began to see is they went from like wearing shorts to, like I said, being topless with their bathing suit on and, and just showing off everything that the good Lord gave them. And then the pulpit, instead of it being a sacred place, became, became a place where they would just tell stories, you know, entertain people as a motivational speaker. And I'm telling you, we lost the power of God with that. Young adults, you go to these services, you go to these worship conferences, and you don't fear God anymore. You don't have a sense of God's presence anymore. I talked to many of you about some of these speakers that you're listening to, and there's no fear of God. And I'm not saying we have to be afraid of God in a sense of like he's an abusive father, but you need to respect and honor God. You need to understand that your life is accountable to God. God is not here to make your fantasies come true. God is here to get glory out of your life. And we've lost it in our compromise and casualness of church. And, I, and I've just seen it across all cultures now. I take responsibility as the white man. Somebody say it's the white man's fault. It started with us. I know it did. Because I was watching the black church and the Latino church. They were like, man, we're not following you down there. And it took them a while. But now you look at it and it's all the same. All churches have been compromised by this understanding that we're trying to make everybody feel comfortable. We don't want to speak in tongues anymore. We don't want to make it about holiness. We don't want to make it about the word of God. We want it to be an experience. An experience. Experience. And yes, you need to experience God, but what's happening in these services is the experience of the flesh is being exalted. And that's why all kinds of sin is being tolerated and it's being promoted now by these lifestyles in the pulpit and in the, the pews. And we need to fear God and say, my body belongs to the Lord. There should be no woman here in this church that thinks she can approach me sexually. See, that's the first problem is that the pimps in the pulpit have already flirted so much that they are now approachable for flirting. Are you guys listening? Let's just be real here. That's why I love it when, when somebody saw me congratulating one of the deacons that just got ordained this, this last session. They saw me dapping her, and they go, oh, that's the famous Pastor Joe Dapp. Yeah, that's about as much as you're going to get from me, young ladies. That's it. You get the dap right here, and you try to come through this. Try to come through this, right? You ain't coming through this. Now, sometimes I got to be honest, the Latino mama, she just slips one and, Pastor, God bless you, yo se bendiga. Every now and then, every now and then, the Puerto Rican mom, she gets one in on me. Full frontal hug. God bless you, Pastor. I try, but I try, so I can't do it all the time. But most of the time, I'll skirt, get the side hug here. And Wayla, and Wayla, you got to get the side hug too, okay? But my, my pattern, I want it to be a pattern in this church that if pastors given the dap, why are some of you single men running up to your sisters? Oh, it's so good to see you, sister. Oh, God bless you. <laughs> Bringing the sister close like this, like so close, like she can like smell your breath, you know. God bless you. Has the Lord spoken to you recently? Prefer to be about me, has the Lord spoken. You're like right in her ear, full frontal hug. I think we need to bring back the holy dap, amen? The holy fist pound for men and for women because no one should feel comfortable violating our body here. No one should feel comfortable being flirtatious here because we belong to the Lord, amen? Amen. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. They were also suing each other. And this is the problem that I see right now in the body of Christ is that it's become about money in the Pentecostal church. I'm not just talking, I love my Presbyterians, but I'm not just talking about the Presbyterians, the frozen chosen. I'm talking about my people. Somebody say our people. Our people are disputing with one another. It says, how dare you take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? 
Don't you know we're going to judge the world? So people who are like saying, don't you judge me, be like, oh, yeah, it's coming. I will be judging you. (laughs) Right now, God is telling me to tell you I will be judging you. So you better get ready unless you want me to be your judge. Because the Bible says that, that he will disperse his judgments to us as we rule and reign with him. And it says, and if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know? He even goes to the next level. Not only will you judge people, you will judge angels. How much more the things of this life? They were arguing with each other. They were fighting with each other until the point where they had to take each other to court because they couldn't resolve it in the church. Now, this does not mean we will not have issues in the church. We will, but we should be able to resolve our own issues. But sadly, this is what has become known in our own churches, in the Pentecostal churches. Since I don't have all the details, I will not mention the name, but this is how it will be typically in a Pentecostal church. That church will be handed off to somebody. And then if that somebody doesn't handle themselves right, the other person that handed off to them can begin to have lawsuits and fighting. This just happened not too recently with two famous preachers. One gave his church to the other. Then the one wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. Then they began to fight in the public aisle, uh, the public eye, and they were Pentecostals. They were spirit-filled, having public disputes, threatening each other with lawsuits. What has happened amongst our people? We're spooky. We're sinful instead of being spiritual. We're not knowing our identity in Christ. Now remember, he said to these people, you have what you need. God has given you these spiritual gifts. You belong to the Lord. But they had been deceived and had started following the way of Satan. And even in a church like this, I'm telling you, we've had people threaten lawsuits against us. I want you guys to think about it. I got my administrator saying amen. Can you say a little bit louder? Seriously, we've had people in this church begin to live in sin, go to another church, and then as we let the pastor know, because it's biblical for that pastor to know, they left here a mess, here's the person you're dealing with, they then said, we're going to sue you for spreading slander against us. Pentecostals, other pastors not even saying anything, not even defending us. Because people in this generation, they don't want to be held accountable. Spirit-filled people have not been known to be the greatest tippers. Come on, can I hear an amen? Spirit-filled people have not been known to be the greatest conference attendees. Spirit-filled people have not been known to be the best ones working with businesses. When I talk to landlords, when I talk to people, when I do business around here, they will tell me stories about how this church did them wrong. And nine times out of ten, they're a non-denominational spirit-filled church that broke their word, that didn't fulfill their contract. Even even one church that I know, because I was looking at their reviews, because it's one of the things that I do. Every now and then I just kind of lurk on people's pages. So I was lurking on this one page. This business totally went after them. And I have, I have uh, a sense that I believe it's true because I've heard from people in that church that they themselves have been done wrong. And these people, uh, business people, were putting on their Facebook page, I did work for this church. This church has not paid me. They tried to ask me to donate it. I spent my hard time and money, there, etc. Now, I know people can slander the church, but I have good reason to believe that it was true because, like I said, I heard it from other members in the church. This is Pentecostal people, not able to settle our own issues, not able to let our yes be yes and our no be no. This is a shame to the body of Christ. It makes us look spooky. Now people say back to us, well, why should I believe that your God can heal? Why should I believe that your God can do miracles? You guys can't even get your stuff together. You're fighting right here in front of us. You're having issues across the street with one to another. These are the things that we need to grow above. We need to judge these issues. So I always say to my friends who are in these conflicts with other churches, I say, let them know I will volunteer and find a few other brothers, and we'll come in Matthew 18, this situation. But nine times out of ten, and thank God when situations are resolved, I'm not saying this is a hopeless situation, but nine times out of ten, the pastors say, forget you. I'm not having no Matthew 18 with you. I'm not sitting down with this other pastor. I'm not letting others judge in this situation. And if pastors won't allow the judgment to come, how much more so will the people in the pew just run away and just go, go hide in the next church where there's no judgment of what God is saying to the situation? 
The situations are real, and we don't always get along. I get it, and there are disputes. But ought we to get some elders together or some brothers and sisters in a life group and settle the issues and say, not here, not on my watch. We're going to put this thing in order. That's where I've lost some of my friendships. I'll be honest. Sometimes you guys will be talking to me, and you'll say, oh, pastor, have you heard of this pastor or this pastor? And I'll say something like, yes, and we were friends, and then a situation came up, and they got out of order. They didn't want to receive the correction, and now I'm waiting for them to do what's right. And that's where I've left a lot of my friendships in this city, not because I'm better than them, but at least I want to be a man of integrity. And so if you could talk to some of these pastors, they'll tell you, man, they'll say, don't mess with Joe. (laughs) Joe going to call you up with two other pastors on the phone and say, you said what? I'm telling you, I have that reputation. They're going to say, Joe got me on a conference call. Joe had me on a three-way. They're going to say, I regret giving Joe my number. Pastors regret giving me their number for that. Because I just don't take it as just, well, it's just ministry. Well, it just is what it is sometimes. No, we're going to rise to another level. It don't have to be this way. We're going to judge angels. I'm going to get some practice judging you, Bishop. I'm going to get some practice right now. I might be a little rusty. I might not have it all together, but I'm going to get my Judge Judy outfit on. I'm going to judge this situation. I'm going to discern good from evil right now. It's not hard. Somebody say, it's not hard. Man, wisdom is always crying aloud, asking for people to receive. Even in our personal lives, think about the different friendships that maybe you've had that have come into conflict and that are now on the rocks because they did not want to settle it the right way. They didn't want to go to the church's elders or the deacons and have a conversation. They just wanted to walk out of your life offended. This is not the way it should be among our people. Among our people, the spirit-filled people, we have words of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy and discerning of spirits, all of these powerful gifts, and we've seen so many things happen in each other's lives. Like even the one that I was talking about that was threatened to sue us, I've had him weep on my, my chest, just crunched and fallen over in the power of the spirit, weeping. And yet they turn so quickly to the flesh. And I know if it can happen to them, it can happen to us. So we have to guard our hearts against the carnal desires of this world where Satan is trying to come in and sow seeds of bitterness and sow seeds of jealousy. Somebody say, God, help us. Amen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 14. I'm going to go through these last ones uh, quickly. Idolatry. How many know we have a problem of idolatry in the Pentecostal church, in the spirit-filled church? In this, in this day and age, they were making uh, you know, their idols, and they would sacrifice food to them, and the church was still attending these sacrifices and or these festivals. And so Paul rebukes them, and he says, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. You know, there's nothing wrong with the parade, but how many know if at Mardi Gras it's a parade for Zeus, that's now, that's now idolatry. But how many know I had to explain that to people in New Orleans? They're like, but my daughter's in the marching band. Your daughter's in the marching band for the Zeus parade. I mean, come on, do I have to spell this out for you? Your daughter's in the marching band for the Bacchus, for the Zulu parade. These are pagan, idolatrous, animus celebrations, and yet Christians will find every excuse. Well, we all just know it's make-believe. I don't care if you think it's make-believe. You are in Bacchus's parade. You are in Zeus's parade. Get your daughter out of there. Have your daughter tell him, I am not marching in Zeus's parade. If you want to rename it Jesus's parade and have a picture of Jesus up here, I'll march in that one. But this is how foolish we've become in the world. We can't even recognize the most obvious forms of idolatry. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Somebody say, we're sensible. Thank you. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? How many are thankful for communion? Amen. And is it not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body. We all share in one loaf. So go to verse 20. It says, no, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to who? Demons, not to God. I do not want you to participate with what? Demons. He had to literally tell them that. He had to say, hey, guys, just a little reminder here. 
What you're seeing going on over there in the Roman amphitheater, that's to demons. And we have to remind people all the time, don't we, about secular music and movies and what's going on in the world. I'm not saying everything is bad and everything is is for a demon, but what I'm saying is you have to learn to discern and guard your family, guard your ears, guard your eyes. And take it serious because even though some things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. You have to get beyond idolatry as a spirit-filled Christian. Is it any coincidence that many of us spirit-filled leaders started off in Christianity saying no to everything we could possibly think of? If you think about my testimony, it is repeated so often in the spirit-filled church by true believers. When I first got saved, I took out my earrings, stopped listening to secular music, didn't watch TV or movies for over eight years. Are you listening? Didn't date for years. How many grew up in a church where you would hear testimonies like that? Some of you should be raising your hand because you grew up in this church. Come on. But we don't hear this anymore. Oh, that's legalistic. No, we're keeping you from idolatry. Some of you don't know the difference between a a Beyonce love song and Beyonce dressing up like a witch. We've got to help you cut all of that off. Some of you want to carry into Christianity all of your idols. you got to learn how to cut them off and then let the Lord tell you what you can do without it being towards a demon. Even when I first got saved, I wouldn't go to the beach where everybody was at. My friend was from Florida, and when we were in Bible college in New Orleans, he would take me to the beach and different things. He would say, man, let's go right here. And my first time, I'm telling you, it's 19 years old, because remember I got saved at 18. My first time at a beach, 19 years old, I said, brother, I don't belong here. (laughs) Come on, can I hear an amen from somebody that knows where you belong and where you don't belong? I'm not saying that's for everybody at all times, but as a young man, 19 years old at a beach in Florida, I was like Joseph. I said, I got to get out of here. I said, where else can I go? He said, well, there's some part over here where the grass is overgrown. You know, if you've been to beaches, you know what I'm talking about. There's always that part where the grass is overgrown. It's away from everybody else. I said, brother, that's where we need to be. I said, brother, I can't, I can't be right here and be thinking about how precious Jesus is and how much I love him. That's not what's on my mind out here. Somebody say, keep it real. Amen. And some of you, I'm telling you, you got to be honest with yourself. What is an idol? What is something that's being offered to a demon that's in your life? And you're trying to say as an excuse, no, but I'm spiritual, man. I'm Pentecostal. I got the Holy Spirit. I can cast out demons in Jesus' name. Yeah, but you can't cast out that two-piece thong or whatever in Jesus' name. You can't cast out because that becomes all up in here in your meditation. Are you listening? I mean, God had to check me. And he still does that because I've learned that this is, not, this is something that doesn't come out without prayer and fasting. I started fasting three days a week out of a seven-day week. I'm telling you, from Monday afternoon to Thursday afternoon, by God's grace, began to pray two hours a day. This is not out of legalism. This is out of love for God because I didn't want my heart to be distracted by the things of this world. Some of you, you want the power and the prestige and the blessings and the goosebumps of Pentecostalism, but you don't want the commitment and the character that comes with holiness. You can't have both. Do you notice that's what he keeps saying is you can't have both. You can't, you can't have the cup of idols and the cup of the blood of Jesus. You can't be having sexual immorality and then be married to Christ. He's warning us against these things so that we're not sinful or spooky in Jesus' name. And then the last two, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty two, and then uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, talk about disorder and divisions among them. Again, now about the spiritual gifts. People are getting drunk at the communion table, and uh, they're, they're, they're arguing with each other. Some are not even feeding the poor at the communion. They're like, man, you don't have enough for yourself. I'm not giving it to you. And he, and he just starts to rebuke them again, and he says, you are missing the point of what the church is about. We're not here to be getting drunk and partying and having disorder and dividing into cliques. We're here to share of the body and blood of Jesus and to use our spiritual gifts to benefit not only the church but the world. Amen. Vinny, would you come in closing? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Somebody say there's an answer. 
Amen. So what's the answer to spookiness and sinfulness? It's being spiritual. It's being spiritual. Spiritual people doing spiritual things. Notice that he now ends the epistle after all of these rebukes, chapter 14, follow the way of love. Because if you love God and people, you're going to obey God's commands and do right by people. And eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So being spiritual is the answer. It's like a sandwich. He starts off by telling them, I know you're spiritual people, but you're acting carnal. And then he tells them all the ways they're acting carnal. And then he ends by saying, be spiritual. That's the answer to our sinfulness. That's the answer to our spookiness. We're not supposed to be divided. We're not supposed to be in pride, sexual sin, lawsuits and idolatry, drunk and, you know, having sex among us, having divisions. We're supposed to be spiritual for the body of Christ so that we can edify each other, build each other up, doing things in decency and in order. Can we believe God that our house, starting with this church, and then your house and your community will do things different? Because as the Bible says, if the kingdom of God or the people of God are scarcely saved, what about the world? The Bible says judgment starts first with the house of God. If we're not first an example here of order, how can we set our order out there on the streets? If I can't bring together two pastors to have peace, how am I going to bring together two gangs? If we can't live holy here, how are we going to get the prostitute saved and teach her to live holy? If you and I can't get rid of our greedy hearts and stinginess here, how are we going to tell the, 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 the businessman to stop being corrupt? It starts here. This is the taste of heaven. This is where God gives us the chance to shine as lights for the world to see. There was a time when we had a different reputation as a whole. When the Christians were thought to be holy, to be charitable, and where Christians were the kind of people you could trust and were outstanding among the culture. And it wasn't too long ago where we can look back into our own history and see that in our culture, it was when we compromised that we lost respect of the, the community. You know, my friend, uh, Brother Anthony, tells the story of what it was. He was the president of the Bible college I went to in New Orleans. He tells the story of what it was like to go to his job the day that Jimmy Swagger in the fall happened on the news. He tells the story of what it was like to meet the man that he had been witnessing to for the last two or three years. He says that when he went there, that man used everything that he saw on the news against Brother Anthony's testimony and the testimony of Christ. He said to me, how many more were like that, that fell away from God that now speak evil of the church because of what that one person did. Ignoring all of the godly people that were around him. Ignoring all of the moms and dads who went to that church and now just wiped the whole thing out. That's what I'm telling you. I fear as a pastor, as in the Lord giving me the wisdom to fear God in that way. Not the fear of man, but to fear God. Because how dare I ruin the reputation of this church when there are people like yourself here saying, but I served God that week. My pastor went to a prostitute, but I was loving on my wife. See, that's what I fear as it comes to the Lord. I don't want you to have to try to explain to the friends you're witnessing to about my sin and how it doesn't impact that testimony you're sharing. And now I want us all to think about it like this. When any of us sin, there is grace and forgiveness, yes. But when any of us do that, who do now people take it out on? Jesus. They go, well, Jesus must not be real because you said you were a Christian and now you're cussing me out. You said you were spiritual. You said you were going to pray for me when I was sick or my child was sick, but now I see you cheating on the job. You said that you wanted me to come to your Easter service, but I heard you just got fired because you were coming in late. See, the Bible says that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles 
because we don't honor God in this generation. I want to believe God for spiritual people to arise. I want to believe for Daniels to come out of this congregation, Pauls and Peters. Are you with me? Can you stand up to your feet? Bless the Lord one more time and say, use me, Jesus. Come on, somebody say, use me, Lord, as the band and altar workers come. I'm believing you, Lord, for Peters and Pauls and Daniels and Josephs to rise up out of this congregation. Spiritual people doing spiritual things, not spooky or sinful. If you're in this place and you have not yet accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can begin to pray where you're at. As I pray for you, Father, I pray everyone here gets to know and love you. In Jesus' name. If you're here today as a Christian, but you're living carnal, would you start to pray and ask God to forgive you? Ask the Lord to take away the sin, the stain of that guilt and shame, and to show you who you are in Christ today. Holy, a saint of God. And for those of us here today who have not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, would you ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Ghost? Come on, I'm praying for holiness. I'm praying for the manifestation of righteousness in this place upon every person. I'm praying for power to come forth. Be baptized in the fire of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. And those of us who have been filled, come on, pray for more empowerment, endowment. In the name of Jesus right now, I pray for deliverance. I pray for freedom. I pray for the spiritual gifts to come forth. Before we go, how many want to see spiritual gifts in their life this week? Come on, ask the Lord. Say, Lord, use me. God, use me in the gifts of the Spirit to be the answer to a spooky, sinful church. Help us to be the bride of Christ in this generation. We rebuke the whore of Babylon in a system that's foreign to the body of Christ. We ask for the church to arise and may her enemies be scattered. We pray for the banner of victory to be lifted up over the body of Christ in this city and for the shame to be removed, for the reproach to be removed, starting in my heart, starting in my life, starting at this church. We pray for unity in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. We pray for godly wisdom and judgment, problems to be solved. A few more moments. Come on, pray, saints. If you need to come forward, let someone pray with you with any of the things that we've mentioned. But I'm praying for you right now.